The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio. This is the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. All right, welcome to it. About seven minutes after seven o'clock here, John Scholes along with senior associate Andrew Goldberg, Sam Firu, Tamarkin LLP representing. And the uh, the law firm that is uh, the most popular, most positively Googled uh, employment law firm in the country. You can check that out and to reach Andrew and his team anytime. It is 1-855-821-5900, help at employmentlawyer.ca. That is the email we use. But over the next 48 minutes or so, you know where to go. 416-870-6400. Bring on your questions if it has something to do with employment law or that nasty bit of confusion called mandatory vaccination in the workplace. Andrew can answer your questions. We're not uh, we're not talking about questions whether you like or dislike vaccines or all that political crap. We're talking how it affects the employment arena. So if you have questions how it how it affects you and your job if you're working for the government, not a government worker, any other workplace. Have you been asked a vaccine? Can you ask your employer? All these different questions. Bring them on among the other topics we will talk to uh, talk about tonight. And, of course, your phone call is going to be shattering some severance myths. And along with that, know your employer is not allowed to do these things if we have time a little later on tonight. But as mentioned, phone lines are open. And we are ready to rock. We hope you are as well. 416-870-6400. So bring it on. The Monday night edition of the Employment Law Show is here, and we're ready. Andrew, my brother, what do you got going on for the week that was, pal? Well, you uh, hit the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. Man- mandatory vaccines is, um, is is the talk of the town right now, so to speak. I mean, everyone wants to know about you know, whether your employer can force you to get vaccinated, what are the implications for refusing to do so? Does it matter what the reasons are for refusing to do so? And, uh, you know, we've received pretty much nonstop calls and emails from individuals looking for answers to these questions. And, you know, the vac- the um, pandemic, rather, has, has brought on lots of these issues. There are a lot of issues that um, were very prevalent during the course of the last year and a half or so. Um, that weren't necessarily such huge issues before, and, and but certainly now mandatory vaccination is is the new one, and, and that's what people want to talk about. So there you go, four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. If you have uh, any questions about that, as Andrew said, he's ready and schooled and most up to date on the information that's available to us. So you can ask those questions uh, anytime. Again, that email address if we have time, sometime help at employmentlawyer.ca. And want to make mention of a, of a website for you, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. And uh, something that's a little brand new, uh, covidrights.ca. And that, is a, a, that is a great resource. In fact, we just, uh, we just started this, and uh, it's something you can go to. It's a questionnaire. Uh, fill out the questionnaire. Find out if your employer, your employer can legally mandate the COVID-9 vaccine or fire them if they refuse to get vaccinated. Covidrights.ca. Just went active. These guys are all over this stuff, so make sure you check that out in between your phone calls. So, without any further ado, I think you want to move on to the uh, the topic at hand, Andrew, and that is shattering some severance myths in between our phone calls. So let's get started on that. Number one, 
And you've, you've culminated these from thousands of phone calls and emails you get at the office every day. Uh, when you are fired, you only receive one, maybe two weeks for every year of service. That is one of the most basic questions we started the show with almost nine years ago, but it keeps coming up. So uh, what do you say about that? Yeah, absolutely. It keeps coming up. And, and again, I, I mean, based on uh, the laws that surrounds mandatory vaccinations, you know, we, we expect that there are going to be a fair number of people that will, you know, reject um, the vaccination. They'll refuse to get vaccinated and they'll be let go from their employment. And our position is that in, in quite a variety of situations, if you're terminated for not getting the vaccine, that'll give rise to just an unjust dismissal. It's a termination without cause and you'll be entitled to your severance. So I thought it'd be you know apt today to speak a little bit about uh, individual severance rights in the event that happens to you. So to your question, yeah, many individuals still think that you get one week or two weeks of year uh, per service in terms of severance. That is very much incorrect. Um, it's possible to get you know upwards of a month per year of service um, for your severance entitlement, just depending on <clears throat> things like your length of service, your age. The older you are, the longer you've been there, the more severance you're going to get. And oftentimes that will be uh, more than one or two weeks. It could be a month per year of service. So um, for those listening out there, if your employer <clears throat> does let you go and you're offered a package and within that package, you're only getting about a week or two per year, that's a sign that you should have that package reviewed, certainly before signing off on anything. And it's not something that's, uh, you know, you hear once in a while. I mean, it's, this has been the, the belief for, for forever, really. It's been the belief for a long time because people talk to their friends or their neighbors or they talk to somebody who used to work here and knows this guy here, and they all say, hey, yeah, one or two weeks per year, if you got that, you're lucky and you're good to go. It's so much more. Again, that's why we direct people all the time to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca because within that, severance pay calculator. That's what that tool was designed for so many years ago to help people and clear up some of the misconceptions when it comes to the length and dollar amount of severance owed when you're released from your job. So uh, so there you go. Shatter another myth right here. Uh, your employer says you've been fired for cause, so you aren't owed any severance. Never mind the one or two weeks, Andrew. You're out the door. You don't get nothing. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh... Uh, that's a, quite a common occurrence that we have, uh, you know, across our tables as lawyers at our firm all the time. But, you know, the employer indicates, ah, oh, your performance has been garbage or you um, were late uh, two days in the last month or, or whatever, and we're firing you for cause and you're not getting any severance whatsoever. And I think the important thing to remember is the employer is not the adjudicator of what is just cause or not cause. The employer doesn't make that determination. That That's a legal determination. So just because your employer says it means very little, um, your employer is incentivized to try to let you go for cause if, if they can, if they, if they can even with a straight face put together that argument, because if it was really cause, which is immensely difficult to make out, it is possible you wouldn't get severance, but it's just something the employer is going to tell you and uh, just just to get out of paying you. So certainly, um, if you're fired for cause, give us a call and let us know the situation. I would bet more often than not that what, what I hear um, in terms of the cause allegations do not justify uh, holding off on severance whatsoever. Well, I mean, the expression we always use on this show and have for years is that employers, uh, whether they mean to or not, they kind of pull the trigger too early on a, on a, on a dismissal for cause saying, oh, you've done one or two things, out you go, no severance, you know, have a nice day, here's your hat, what's your hurry? But uh, that's not the case. It takes a lot more of a case to build up and rise to cause, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's immensely difficult to terminate someone for cause. I mean, in order to even have a chance, there would have to be something called progressive discipline, which is simply, you know, 
uh, like a chronology of warning. So they, you know, they've warned someone once, they've warned someone a second time, maybe they've given them a little a minor suspension or one or two day suspension, but there needs to be discipline imposed um, before terminating for cause so that they can say, look, we gave this person two, three, four chances. They're not, you know, fixing what they need to fix. They're not conducting themselves appropriately. Now we're at least justified. So number one, that would almost, you know, 99.9% of the time need to take place only if your conduct was so almost abhorrent that, you know, it, it was almost criminal in nature, right? If it was really like theft or some kind of really malicious harassment or violent act or sexual harassment in the workplace, maybe in those instances, you could be fired for cause without progressive discipline, without previous warnings, but that would be so unlikely. So if you're fired for cause with no track record of warnings, then you're, you know, almost 100% of the time going to be fine. Going to be getting more of those uh, severance myths on the uh, show tonight as we carry on. But in between that, 416-870-6400. Your phone calls always on this show are top priority. Dorothy, thank you for hanging on for a couple moments. How are you tonight? Good. How are you? Brilliant. What's uh, what's on your mind? Thanks for calling. Um, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, good evening, Andrew. Um, my question is now, okay, I work for a private company. And, um, I mean, eventually it's going to lead up to mandatory vaccinations. I hear all the grumblings around the office. Um, My question would be, there are three exemptions that can be used from what I understand, and I just want some clarification. So from what I understand, it's religion, medical, or creed. So my question is, can creed be used as an exemption for vaccination, or is that all considered uh, grouped with religion slash creed well that's that's actually a very excellent question i assume you're employed in ontario correct okay and assuming it's a provincially regulated company um what type of company is it if you don't mind me asking uh it's an engineering firm okay so likely it'll be what's called provincially regulated so under the human rights code in ontario there actually isn't a ground a protected ground called religion okay the only protected ground along those lines is creed and religion falls under creed, right? But the idea is, you know, not everything is so easily defined as, I don't want to get into like a whole, you know, uh, like philosophical discussion about what is a religion and what's not, but the idea is that, you know, not everything is, is a straightforward monotheistic religion like Christianity or Judaism or being Muslim or whatever. So creed can cover more than just, you know, your standard kind of religious um, entities and groups that exist. Um, but yes, certainly if, if you, for religious reasons or for medical reasons, you cannot get the vaccine, then that would have to be accommodated by the employer to the point of undue hardship. I see. And, but it wouldn't be under any personal belief. Like if you strongly have a personal belief, that does not qualify you under this. Is not that not under the definition of creed. I mean, okay. creed, creed is, is, is more about, you know, a structure of beliefs with a group, you know, like involving a community and like, you know, a, a widespread structure of beliefs that kind of dictates your, your conduct, your being, right? And that's kind of more what a religion's about. But, but all that being said, you, you certainly don't necessarily have to fall within one of these exemptions to refuse the vaccine. If your company is not mandated by the government, to, to vaccinate its workforce, then right. you, you very well could say no. And, you know, if they said, well, then you're out of here, we're firing you. 
then mm-hmm. that you could be entitled to severance, right? So it's not like okay. you have to say yes, but at the same time, right. they don't have to keep you. And if they let you go, then you could have severance. Right. Right. Okay. That's very helpful. Like I said, I'm not saying no, I'm just not sure. That's mm. the only issue sure. right now. Like I'm sure a lot of people are, you know, feeling the pressure and there's too much pressure right now. And I just want to make sure I'm informed and I make the correct decision for my health. Uh, well, um, well, one last point before I let you go. Um, something really important for you to do and all of the listeners to do, if you're being, if your employer is putting to you that, you know, you have to get this vaccine or else, but they mm-hmm. haven't made the or else clear, ask those mm-hmm. questions. What are the alternatives? Okay. Can I get testing? Can I, you know, what can I work from home? What is the intentions if I say no to this? You want to have all the information so you can make an informed decision. And then if you want to speak to us further about your choices, then we need that information anyway, right? So it doesn't hurt to ask those kind of questions. Appreciate your time, Dorothy, and a wise move calling in. That's exactly why you do with that confusion going on of late. Uh, call the show, 416-870-6400. We'll take our first break. Andrew Goldberg, Senior Associate, Sanfiru Tamarkin, LLP, is handling all of your calls, helping thousands of people across this country get through this this massive force of employment law. It gets more confusing every day. That's why we do the show. You can also go to covidrights.ca. That page slash questionnaire is active and up right now to answer some more questions as well. Covidrights.ca. We'll be right back. More employment law show is on the way. This is Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. Welcome back indeed. It is a 723 Monday evening employment law show. Andrew Goldberg, Senior Associate, Sam Firu to Market. LLP, still taking your calls here at 416-870-6400 to call in for the remainder of this program. Questions about employment law, vaccinations, mandatory, otherwise, can you get fired, can you not? Handling those tonight, of course, because it's a busy topic. Has been for a few weeks and for the near future, it probably will continue to be. You want to reach out to Andrew, by the way, after the show or any time, get a hold of his team, one 821 5900 And uh, more questions and answers about the vaccinations, mandatory or otherwise, covidrights.ca, covidrights.ca. Fill out that questionnaire. just went up today, and it's uh, really helpful as well. Get back to it and uh, get to George. George, thank you so much. Hanging on through the break. How are you tonight? Hi. How are you? Great. Good to talk Hi. to you. What's on your mind? Yeah, yeah, as far as I know, the employers are not committing to have vaccinated employees test for COVID. And we know that the vaccine does not protect against getting infected with COVID. So what is the employer's uh, legal obligation here? Sorry, your employer is, is not having people be tested? Not having vaccinated people tested. Okay, but it's having unvaccinated people be tested? Yes. Okay, well, look, ultimately it's the employer's responsibility to ensure a safe workplace. Okay, like that's, that's number one. Um, and number two, 
really, I mean, it's going to come down to the overall policy that the employer has in the workplace. If it's testing unvaccinated people, and if there's a fair number of unvaccinated people, it's possible that that uh, would be enough to capture the spread in the workplace, right? Because um, you, even a sample might be an effective gauge at ensuring that, that, that COVID hasn't spread in the workplace. But ultimately, the reality of the situation is, you know, your employer is not going to be held 100% to, you know, ensuring that no one gets COVID-19. I mean, people are going to get it. Uh, it's going to spread. But that just because it happens at work doesn't mean the employer is necessarily responsible. It, it just the employer has a responsible to make the best efforts it can and to make reasonably good efforts to ensure yeah. a safe workplace. So that's what they're going to be, you know, in, instructed yeah, to do. Are, aren't they responsible to test vaccinated people as well? Because vaccine does not protect against getting infected. You know that, right? That's a proven fact. Well, I mean, look, we're, unfortunately, we're not we're not scientists, we're not chemists. And, and you know, the purpose of, of, you know, our relaying your entitlements is not going to be to speak to the efficacy of the vaccines. I mean, there are there is research. I understand that the research has shown to some degree that it it might not be as effective as once thought. But I don't think I've seen anything that says it's, it's totally ineffective in spreading um, the 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 um pan, the uh, virus, but but really it's kind of neither here nor there. Really, what's what's important is that the employer is ensuring a safe workplace. It, it's not going to be obligated to test everybody. If if it's necessary to test everybody to ensure a safe workplace, depending on what you do, it could be possible. But it would be situation specific, and you would need to understand what your workforce is and if there's a reason to implement the testing at all. George, appreciate your time in the call. That's a very uh, common question that you know, people have. It doesn't prevent the, the, the COVID-19 virus. It you know, greatly reduces your risk of being in hospital or getting deathly ill. But to, you know, to his point, to kind of what you said, isn't that also trickling down from a government mandate saying, you know, for those who are unvaccinated in your workplace, they need to be have tested either you know, daily, se- you know, semi-weekly or whatever. That's more the mandate that, that these employers look like they're going to have to follow coming down from the government. It's not so much testing everyone, which they could. Um, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to call it a bare minimum, but it looks like the mandate is to, if you're not willing to get vaccinated for your workplace, if it's mandatory, you have to get tested going into your workplace. Isn't that kind of where it stands? That, that's what it seems to be. I mean, that's what the mandates have shown from the government level. Um, again, not all of this has been legislated into, you know, into uh, regulation and um, different, you know, le- government legislation that would force people to do anything yet. This is just a lot of talk for now, but absolutely you, you see more often than not from the government level a discussion that if you're not going to get vaccinated, then there will be mandatory testing. I mean, at the end of the day, really, a lot of this is just a balancing act. There's people that want all kinds of different things and people who mm-hmm. think all kinds of different things and people who weigh all kinds of things differently. The same considerations, they just favor some more than than others. And I think the point you made, which is terrific, is that, you know, it's a, it's a confusing topic. And as a result, why leave employers with the burden of figuring it out? Of course, it would be much more effective and helpful if the government did legislate, um, you know, policy to ensure that employers know what they're to do or not to do. And I think that that's where a lot of the confusion lies is that hasn't been done, at least in Ontario, uh, to a very great degree as of now.
And again, the reason why I went active today, and I know you guys were working really hard on this, and it's it's come to fruition, covidrights.ca, covidrights.ca, fill out a questionnaire to find out if your employer can legally mandate the vaccine or fire them if they uh, refuse to get vaccinated, all that stuff. Again, covidrights.ca, so super t- t- uh, super uh, timely in uh, in that regard. Still got lots of time, guys, 416-870-6400 to call in like George and Dorothy before you. And ask your questions on the uh, employment law side, uh, outside of vaccines, uh, things you're, uh, well, they're miss. They're, they're misunderstandings about truce about employment law. How about this one? Being quote-unquote on contract, Andrew, means that you don't get any severance. Right, and, and that's a big one we see all the time. Yep. Uh, individuals who, you know, are, are characterized as, as contractors, right, on contract to do a job, Um they say, well, you're not an employee, you're not on payroll per se, and as a result, uh, you don't get any severance if you're let go. However, you know, the vast majority of individuals who are called contract workers are, for the purposes of your legal entitlements and your legal rights, considered employees because what you label the relationship, uh, our courts have said time and time again, is not determinative of what you are in terms of your characterization. So just because you're called a contractor and not paid on payroll, it really what, a, what is going to be important is what is your relationship. Do you work for the employer, take instruction, make all your money from the same employer, they give you all the tools and equipment, dictate your schedule. If you look like an employee, then you're likely an employee is, is really the gist of it, and you're entitled to severance if you're let go. And, the, you know, that also has to be, you got to shed some light as well, those people who are actually on a contract, a fixed-term contract. If, if my contract is, is with, you know, Andrew Goldberg and Associates for three years and you let me go one year in, you still owe me the balance of that contract, do you not? Yeah, that's a very good point. So if, if you're on contract in the sense that, you know, we're talking about a fixed length of service, so if an employee mm-hmm. hires you for a finite duration, like you, your example, three years, if you're let go after one year of the three years, you could be entitled to the balance of the contract being the remaining two years um, of pay, which is a very unique situation, especially because it doesn't matter, you know, for the person who was on that three-year contract, that might have been their very first contract. It doesn't mean that they had 10 before that. They've actually been at this company for 10 years. They could have only been at this company for one year, get let go and get two years worth of pay. So, Fixed-term contracts are very risky, actually, from an employer's perspective. And totally. more often than not, I'm, I don't really understand the purpose of them at all, um, <laughs> frankly. And, and, you know, because if they just, they could let that individual go, the three-year employee, they could let them go at, at any time and just pay their severance, which would be a hell of a lot less than the two years remaining if they weren't on a fixed term. Yeah, so you're, if better, you're, you're better a, having... Yeah, sorry, I was just going to say you're better having restrictive severance language in a contract than an actual three-year term. I mean, it could cost an employer a lot less, right? Of course. You're better off even if they didn't have any uh, language limiting your severance. (laughs) If you're one year of service and you're entitled to your your full severance entitlements, a one-year employee is never going to get two years of pay. Um, So, you know... It's all it's very risky, really, in every respect. So it's it's just something to be wary of if you're an employer. And if you are an employee, like get that checked out immediately because you could have huge entitlements. And, and those are, you know, very interesting cases to work with. I very much enjoy fixed term contract cases myself. No kidding. And uh, by the way, you want to reach out to Andrew anytime and his team, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.say. 
But we got uh, .ca. We got lots of time here. Still four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. Phone calls always our priority. Mike, big fella, how are you? Good to have you on the air tonight. What's going on? Thank you, thank you. Just wanted to clarify the expiration on a, um, a severance. So mm-hmm. once the severance expires, which it has for me, um, I went to negotiate. Uh, was offered about three weeks a year. And um, the negotiation basically never came back and has expired. What are my rights in this situation? Because often you hear that we should be challenging severance and trying to get the max, but as an employer, they're not really obligated to come back and uh, you know negotiate. What happens in that scenario where it has expired? Okay, well, I mean, you have to understand this this expiry that you speak of. It's just an arbitrary deadline put forward by the employer. I mean, your entitlements are your entitlements, whether they give you an offer in a week to decide or three days to decide or two weeks to decide, it doesn't change your actual entitlements for what they are. So if they've now disappeared for whatever reason, then, you know, it's very simple. You give us a call and we, you know, either immediately initiate kind of legal action against them to pursue your severance, which you're entitled to regardless of them taking the position the deal's expired, or we try to write to them ourselves saying, look, you know, we'll give you a chance to retable this or, or whatever, whatever we kind of want to put forward by X date. And if you don't do it, then, then we'll have to bring, you know, legal action here. And, and at some point, if you bring legal action, they can't, they can't um, uh, ignore that, right? Like you have a legal obligation to respond. So then they'd have to engage in it and, and eventually pay you what you're entitled to. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Any more questions? Again, covidrights.ca. Anything having to do with vaccination and any other employment law questions, uh, you can simply go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Going to work our way down to Rob. Hi, Rob. Thanks for hanging on for a moment. Good evening. Good evening, gents. Um, I work for a delivery service company, and just curious if I'm vaccinated, fully vaccinated, and we share a truck with somebody else who is unvaccinated. Are we forced to work with that particular person? Okay, so you're sharing, you're sharing a truck uh, like they do half the day, you do half the day? Like, no, no, no. Like, what, basically, you have a driver and a swamper, essentially, or you vice versa, but you're always working with two people in the cab. Ah, your right. co-pilot's not vaccinated, right? Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm. Uh, yeah, that's the question, basically. So you're together. I mean, n- not necessarily. No, I mean you can't. It, it, uh, you can't necessarily enforce the employer to have that person vaccinated. I mean, it depends. You know, what, what's more important as well to think about is what other protocols do they have in place. I mean, that that if you're closer than six feet together, if you're sitting right next to each other, then both people should be wearing masks and there should be sanitization procedures in place and, and the employer should ensure that it's doing everything possible to, you know, you know, provide for a safe workplace. But, uh, you know, the important, you could raise the, your concerns with the employer um, and the employer is free to implement a policy to like, like this is what many employers are doing right now to implement policies to have people vaccinated. However, it's, it's very likely um, depending on the nature of your, business, the deliveries you do, and, and the nature of your work, that if that person was let go, they would be entitled to severance. So it's, it's, an, it's a tricky thing to balance, 
and it's really up to your employer to decide how it wants to approach it. But there'll probably be repercussions for your employer, whichever way it, it kind of decides to go. Well, it's more of a kind of uh, com- What's that, Rob? Sorry, we uh, we lost you there. Oh, oh I think he's uh, I think he's gone. I'll put him on hold. See if we can get him back. Try to get back, Rob. Anyway, in the meantime, want to get more employment law miss happening here. Uh, Andrew, next one is uh, short service employees get very little severance, and some people think they don't get any because they haven't been there that long, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people seem to think, you know, that there's kind of a linear um, kind of progression when it comes to your severance entitlement. Like the longer you work, you get a proportionate amount more in severance. But but that's not really the case. It's almost like a bell curve where – when you're very short service, you could be entitled to, you know, much more than a month per year of service. And if you're extremely long service, you might be entitled to less than a year, uh, sorry, a month per year of service. So for sh- short service people, the rationale is like, look, you know, just it's not going to be easier for you to find a job now that you have on your resume that you're, you've only worked for this cover, uh, company for a very short period of time. And courts often acknowledge that by awarding a higher severance amount and, you know, myself personally, I've succeeded in settling, you know, many files for people with, you know, one or less years of service for four or five or even six months of severance. Uh, so you could be entitled to greatly more than, you know, two, three, four, five or six weeks, even though you've been working somewhere a year or less or maybe two years or less. If you had Rob back on, Rob, sorry, I think you had one more question. We got you back. How are you? I'm good. You can hear me now? Yep, we got you. Okay, perfect. Um, basically, I was more referencing the comfortability factor. Like if somebody is vaccinated and they have to work with somebody that's unvaccinated, can they refuse that work with that person? No, no, not, not necessarily at all. That could, that could amount to you abandoning your, your employment if you did that, right? So, but what would be more important is, you know, telling the employer that you're concerned about safety in the workplace and asking what kind of protocols and policies it has in place to help limit, you know, any exposure you might have, such as what we're talking about, you know, masks, sanitation, or even that, you know, does it, does the workforce have to undergo testing or something like maybe that individual will have to undergo testing or something like that. Um, is there any way you can sit together where you aren't six feet apart? I don't know. It'd be something to canvas with the employer, but, to blanketly refuse at this stage um, because that just because the person's unvaccinated, it's, it's not necessarily uh, a right that you have um, unless somehow you can get maybe a doctor's note to show that you're at significantly higher risk or something like that. And you have like severe medical issues such that, you know, you're at a greater risk if you contract um, the pandemic, uh, the virus. So something would have to happen there. Otherwise, just simply by virtue of the fact that this person doesn't have the vaccine is not enough to just refuse work. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate that. You need to follow up any further, you can do so. one 821 5900 But we've still got some time here. For the remainder of the show, you want to call in 416-870-6400. Move it down to no, your employer is not allowed to. The first one here, again, very popular. Employers do this all the time, and I imagine for, for, you know, hey, on their side, legitimate reasons, things have been tough for the last year and a half, but they're not allowed to change your job, uh, your pay, your description, your hours of work, your location, and I know you've been very busy 
at uh, at your office, Andrew, because of COVID nineteen, employers are doing this because sometimes they have to, and they don't realize can't always do that, right? Yeah, I mean, the, right. Like you have an inherent right to the pay that you receive to do the job that you've agreed to do for the number of hours per week that you've agreed to work. I mean, that is nothing's more fundamental to your employment than those really those three things, right? And as a result, your employer cannot you know, unilaterally at its own discretion, change those things without your consent. By doing so, it could very well amount to a constructive dismissal, meaning that, you know, because of those fundamental changes, they're so detrimental to your position and they're so far removed from what you agreed to, you can treat your employment as being terminated uh, based on those changes and pursue a severance package. So certainly there's lots of people that are experiencing this. Some people are working fewer hours and making less money than ever. Some people have a you know a minor pay cut, but are working tons more hours than they used to work. And so, if you look at the hourly rate, for instance, it, it drops significantly. So it's not only about decreases, but it could be an increase of hours of work as well. Yeah, I mean, we often joke that you just uh, just like your employer can't cut your pay, you can't walk in and say, "Hey, employer, starting today, you're you're paying me fifty percent more." Thank you very much. It doesn't work that way. No, I mean, you can try and good luck. And, uh, <laughs> you know, depending on your day, maybe it's, it's worth the effort. But your employer absolutely does not, you know, have to agree to that in the same way you don't have to agree to that. But the important thing to keep in mind is that once you start seeing these things occur, you know, your employer implementing changes to your pay, your job, your hours, you have to act on it. You can't just sit idly by and let that be and think, oh, six months later, I'm sick of it now. I'm going to do something about it because an individual's failure to act will be deemed, you know, their agreement to these changes, right? So if I used to work 40 hours a week, but for six months straight, I now work 30, then the employer can say, you've already agreed to that change. You've been doing it for six months. So it's important for the employee to say something and to speak to a lawyer as soon as possible so as not to fall into one of those traps. Your employer is not allowed to put you on probation after you already passed the probationary period. Correct. I mean, your employer cannot do that. I mean, it's just fluff. If they did it on paper, it wouldn't mean anything, right? It's, you know, an employer ultimately can let you go for any reason it wants um, that isn't discriminatory or a reprisal um, in terms of, you know, you filed a harassment complaint or something like that and they're getting back at you. If it's just a straightforward termination, it's a restructuring, or they're just like not thrilled with your performance, even though you don't think it's really justified, they can let you go, but they have to pay you your severance. The thing is, a lot of these probationary period clauses will indicate, okay, if you're let go during the probationary period, you get no severance, okay? And if the employer tries to apply that later on down the line, like maybe you get a promotion after two years and you get a new probationary period, that really just doesn't mean anything. It employer absolutely has to pay you severance if they let you go, regardless of the fact that it might not be too thrilled with your performance. Um, and it doesn't matter if you agree or disagree, you'd be entitled to severance. And I guess the part B to that whole thing is the, the actual concept of probation is not automatic. That's something that's going to be laid out beforehand in a contract. Just because you got a new job doesn't mean you're on probation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, really, all probation truly is, is the understanding that, you know, we're going to be monitoring your performance during this time and whether you make it past that whatever three-month period um, remains to be seen. 
your employer really at any, there's nothing really stopping your employer from giving you a new job. Like if you get promoted saying the same thing, like, look, we're promoting you, but you know, we're kind of iffy on whether this is warranted and whether you're, you're qualified to do this. Um, so we're going to be keeping an eye out. Sure. They're welcome to do that. But if they let you go, they absolutely cannot withhold your severance. They'd have to pay you out. So that's really the most important thing to me. Yeah, and once you've been on probation, that's done. Like you said, with a switch of job within the same company, you can't be put back on probation again, right, for a new position. You're already within the company. Right, absolutely not. So, I mean, um, if, if that's something that's happening to you, uh, you know, feel free to reach out and let us know about your concerns, but it really wouldn't be something to worry about too much. And that is a wrap for a Monday night. Man, that goes quickly. You have questions now that we are done and through until Wednesday. Reach out to Andrew and his team, 1-855-821-5900, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, the website, email help at employmentlawyer.ca. And it just went active a short time ago, a questionnaire to find out more about COVID-19 and legal mandated stuff and vaccinations, refusals, so on and so forth, covidrights.ca, covidrights.ca. Stick around, though. We're coming back. Lots more of On Point is on the way. Arlene Bynum returns on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio.